0: All you got to do is hand it to them, okay? That's all that Dennis is trying to say. We get the Bible to people that don't have it. So uh, I highly encourage you to get involved. Hey, uh, and I'm still not on my time, by the way. I gotta <laughs> Before I get started, uh, you know, we always wonder about whether we're communicating with people. And so we make up uh, outlines of the messages each week, and I have no idea whether anybody looks at them or not okay, but we try to put on there, you know, kind of the, the outline and, and some verses and that sort of thing, and if you, might, if you look at today's, you'll see it's kind of more skeletal than usual, you know, there's uh, fewer verses and that sort of thing, and that's partly because of the subject matter, but I'm, I'm hopeful that you'll use it today if you're interested in making a biblical man, okay, okay because that's what we're talking about, and that's a series that I, I have been going over since the beginning of the year once a month. Uh, and uh, to, to start off with, uh, when I was growing up in the 50s and 60s, there was this thing called television, okay? And they had to fill it with content, and so they would show old movies for us. And some of those that we would watch would be movies where the stars were Bing Crosby and Bob Hope. Okay? And they had a series of movies about roads. It'd be Road to Hong Kong or The the Road to Rio. There was even A Road to Utopia. Okay? But a more serious and consequential road is The Road to Matrimony. Uh, I've often said that the second most the second wisest decision I ever made, the second best decision I ever made was to become one with Christy. Topped only by my decision to become one with Christ. And that decision was also the second most important decision of my life. And so it bears talking about uh, preparation for the trip down this road starts when boys are young. And it continues until they leave and cleave. Uh, their road conti- their road continues beyond the wedding. But for now, what we're talking about is preparing boys for biblical manhood, including marriage. Now, uh, again, this sounds sexist, uh, but this is applicable to anybody who's interested in having biblical men, which ought to be all of us, right? right? That includes everybody. Uh, now, this is not a universal road uh, to marriage, okay? As we've mentioned before, that are, there are a few who are meant for celibacy, but this is the norm, okay? Whether parents are intentional about this or not, boys are being prepared for marriage or some cheap substitute. And it's incumbent upon parents to train their young for marriage, with the help of grandparents and other loved ones. So, in our exploration of what a biblical man is, we started with the basics. Of first, humility, self control, protection, provision, and leadership. And then we looked at the training of boys, starting with toddlers and up all the way to the point at which they became they become aware of and interested in girls and the road gets steeper as we go uh, today it gets a little bit more treacherous for me because anytime you talk about approaching marriage especially among Christians you're going to bump into many divergent and strongly held views ranging from arranged To laissez faire. Now, I'm going to try to stick with what the Bible says or can be implied in terms of principle and process. The focus being on wisdom and intentionality to provide the foundation for a lifelong union. Christy and I will celebrate 48 years as one in June, and I cannot imagine being with anybody else. Now, We're not batting a thousand with the marriages of our children, so I am speaking with some experience with painful failure. We are in the process right now of preparing for the marriage of our youngest. Of course, he's had to bear the mantle of the baby of the family, yet there are some advantages to being last in line because he's been able to see how important it is to prepare Uh, based upon what he's seen with some of the struggles of his older siblings. Last time we left off discussing, discussing the initial and continuing need of boys to learn how to honor all females, especially the one with whom he has a special interest. And these principles apply more and more as you get farther and farther down the road. First, we need to discuss some terms, because within Christendom, these terms have various connotations. Uh, This can lead to confusion in understanding what is really important. Our experience came out of what might be called the dating culture, the origin of which pretty much started post-World War II. And Christy and I are both the youngest in our families, so we watched as our older siblings dated a number of others. Uh, my general role as a little brother was to irritate and antagonize my sisters and the boys that came to our door. And I would hide behind the couch that the boys would sit down with my sisters to, to talk. Uh, one of my sisters briefly dated a young man who was the son of a well-known and wealthy family in Kansas City who eventually became the owners of a certain baseball team of note. This young man had some issues at that point in his life, and I distinctly recall waking up one Saturday morning, uh, looking out the front door of my bedroom, and I saw his car parked at an odd angle in the neighbor's yard across the street. I never really got the whole story on that, but I suspect that that date didn't go really well. I personally uh, slipped into the dating mentality rather awkwardly and painfully in junior high. As a novice and simply aware of what my peers were doing, I recall I had my eye on this one young lady who was taller than me, and I worked up the courage to approach her at her wall locker one day and offered her my name bracelet. You know, I don't know if you remember those things, the older people. had a little bracelet that hung kind of with a chain around it. And that, you give that to somebody, that was how you went steady in my school. And she looked at the bracelet, and she looked at me, down at me rather casually, and said, I don't even know you. (laughs) So I slunk away in utter rejection. And I eventually convinced some other girls to take a bracelet or a ring, and I experienced a number of relationships that were so steady that they lasted on average about two weeks. Uh, We really couldn't go on a date until we reached that milestone of liberty, the driver's license. And I dated a number of girls without obligation, And that all started to end when a younger girl offered to carry my lunch tray due to my broken leg from football, and the rest is history. And to be honest and real, I have to admit that I was first attracted to Christy because of her beauty. But as we got to know one another, I found that she was different. She was just fun to be with. There was something about her that kept my attention. Going on, She was a year behind me in school, and so to my surprise, after I left to go to college, no one in her class snatched her away, and I'm convinced that God preserved her for me. And then the next year, uh, I went to KU, she went to MU, Uh, and although we both dated casually while there, I think it became clear to me that she was the one after I became one with Christ uh, in a frat house of all places. Uh, we began to talk about my new and her renewed faith uh, and until she finally agreed to spend the rest of our lives together. So she got her MRS degree in her junior year. That was great. Uh, and uh, to this day, I have no idea how I landed her, but I'm glad that God was the one that put us together. Now, not to bore you with our love story but just to say that God works through all kinds of circumstances, even those that are less than the best. Ours could have been a whole lot worse, but it was clearly not the best way to approach marriage. My hope today and next month is to address the biblical principles and cover a number of issues that have arisen within our culture today, much more so than when life was simpler and matrimony was not nearly as winding and difficult a road as it is. As most of you know, uh, when our oldest was approaching school age, we became involved in the infant homeschooling movement. A movement became a sort of cottage industry, which with a whole new way of looking at life outside the mainstream, largely led by Christians. Uh, One of the societal practices that came under scrutiny of homeschooling parents in the 80s and 90s was this thing we're talking about, you know, kind of when boy meets girl. Uh, In response, some in the early homeschooling movement began to promote a practice which sounded better. It was called courtship, which was a term used by previous generations. In fact, this approach did provide some worthy things like purity, accountability, involvement of parents, and particularly fathers. The problem was that we were making up courtship as we went along. Someone would say courtship is this, others would say it's that, Uh, and uh, it it just seemed like we kept adding on to the definition and and like there was a competition as to who could come up with the most spiritual form of courtship. Others simply went along for the ride, they allowed their kids to date, and they simply called it courtship. Uh, As early entrants into the movement, a little bit older than some, uh, we were asked to speak on this topic. And I faced the problem that there were so many versions of courtship out there that I was sure to offend somebody by saying anything about it. My solution was to throw out the term courtship. And without any kind of catchy term, I just called it right relationships, which was more following biblical principles than a set of rules. The problem with the courtship in... Uh, movement in the 1990s was that it tended to fall into a trap uh, within the homeschool movement. In a message a few years ago uh, at Lion and Lamb, I I mentioned a phrase that I first heard from Michael Ferris, who uh, started the Homeschool Legal Defense Association then the Patrick Henry College and ended his career as head of Alliance Defending Freedom. At the time, Mike noticed that within the homeschooling ranks, some people kind of went over the top. In short, these are usually good families who perhaps took pride in doing certain things within the home, like baking your bread at home, raising your food at home, uh, home businesses, uh, and of course home education, all good things. So Mike labeled not that practice, but the prideful attitude of being homier than thou. In some cases, it became a source of competition among home educators as who could be homier. A significant and central part of the homeschooling movement was, of course, parents taking responsibility for preparing children for life rather than leaving that task to the culture, the public school, or even the Sunday school. This was and continues to be a good thing. Parents are responsible of course, one of the chief goals of home education, which should be for all parents, is to prepare their kids for marriage and family. Before going on, let me say that neither of the terms dating nor courtship are in the Bible, and neither implies inherent good or evil. But how the process of preparing for marriage is approached and practice can go on to either problem of stifling pride and legalism by overbearing parents, or outright sin for children by neglectful parents, particularly the fathers. A term that is in the Bible is that of betrothal, most famously between Joseph and Mary. I don't know if this is still a term that's being used out there, but I want to at least address it because it is in the Bible. My impression is that in the race to be homier than thou, some well-meaning Christian parents concluded that, well, we've got a term in the Bible, therefore that must be even better than courtship. Uh, the problem with this approach with 2020 hindsight, these hindsight, they're numerous. First, parents had no definition for betrothal, so they had to make it up as they went, just as they did with courtship which could be a tightly controlled relationship to actual arranged marriage. Now, viewing the Hebrew betrothal with our current eyes, it was essentially super engagement, a period after initial interests and decisions when a man prepared to welcome his bride into his own household. However, it was also a legal commitment with teeth. To break off a betrothal required a divorce, a declaration that the relationship had ended within the Jewish legal system, and you had to have grounds, like sexual immorality. Now, personally, I believe the wisdom of the betrothal approach seems patent. If young people knew that engagement was more serious than a ring and setting a date, they might be a whole lot more intent on preparation for that period. Modern engagement can be a bit dangerous in the sense that if problems arise within a relationship, they are often overlooked and the can is simply kicked down the road to be resolved after the wedding. The social pressure of the announced wedding date often prevents couples from taking more time that might be necessary to work through those issues perhaps even just cutting it off. So the second problem with any attempt at modern betrothal is that is neither part of our culture nor our legal system, although I think it would be a great idea if we got back to that. Finally, Some parents uh, of the young man who adopted the betrothal method simply overstepped their authority. The Bible says that a man will leave his father and mother and become one with his wife. So if a father tried to do more than give his mature son advice and counsel, if he tried to tell his, his son he could not marry this woman, but he must marry that woman, he would be not only overstepping his authority, but he would also be acting in a way that would make his son a poor husband. The father was supposed to prepare the son to make important decisions wisely, including who he should marry, the person to whom he's to be joined for life, not make those decisions for the son. If he's supposed to head the household, shouldn't he choose the woman with whom he will live and lead in that household? If it appears that a son's going to make a huge mistake about the only thing that parents can do in that situation is give advice and pray. Now, with that, some of the practices that were raised by the rediscovery of the principles under the title of courtship, or whatever you might call it, should not be thrown out with the bathwater, even if the bathwater needs heaving. So my simplified approach at the time were the principles of purity, accountability, and always looking for God's best, and I simply called that right relationships to get away from the connotations. So, for young males, as we've talked before, the global honor of females will provide a foundation and some protection, but as we've mentioned before, beware that the culture is working against that honor and respect. Before addressing how this might look, let's take an honest look at the fruit of the cultural approach to boy-girl relationships. Parents may take different paths in this process, and we just want to point out at least a couple of the pitfalls and highlight some principles that may provide some guidance along the road. The dating mentality has trickled down to younger and younger ages. As we mentioned last month, the interest may start in the early teens. However, when it happens, some parents simply raise the white flag and resign themselves to what they believe is inevitable. They close their eyes to what's happening and hope for the best, and that's why we have safe sex education in public schools. The problem is that the young people simply do not have the discernment and maturity to navigate the rough terrain and the many paths off the road. One possible consequence of serial dating is that these relationships are intended to be temporary. They can be broken off even more easily than they're started. The effect can be long-term. Some people call it practice for divorce. The effect can also be immediate. Personally, as a young teen, serial boy-girl relationships did not engender in me any sense of stability, but rather self-doubt and fragility. When a girlfriend broke up with me as a young teen, I was so crushed I went through a period of self-mutilation and self-rejection. Even when that relationship survives longer term, the premature access to committed male-female relationships can be very damaging emotionally. I've had to console at least a couple of my grieving children when, after months of relationship, the high school sweetheart decided our child was not so sweet anymore. Of course, another danger of this is the temptation of falling into and resultant guilt of sexual immorality, which we addressed last month. Again, the culture is whispering into the ears of young males that females of all ages are really no different from them except that they are there to gratify the desires of males. Instead of honor, they are to be used and then discarded. That's the, that's the view of the world. So much depends on the foundation and attitude of the parents and young people involved. Relationship and trust, however, are the two primary elements of protecting youth from foolish decisions along the road. Uh, Christy and I both came from relatively loving two-parent families, not perfect. Christy's mom had some emotional issues and my dad had problems with self-control. We had seen enough to know some of the things that we wanted in our family and some of the things we did not, but neither of us had much uh, instruction in the process. Uh, As part of the dating culture, I stumbled through more than Christy did, but the fact that we made it this far is not an endorsement, rather it's a testimony to the faithfulness of God to keep us together despite those mistakes and trials on both the road up to and even after our wedding date. So be- before getting into specifics in the process, I want to make another observation, an admission that involves wisdom and uh, balance and relationship. The early Christian school and homeschool movements of the 80s and 90s were in part a legitimate reaction to the declining culture that was around us. And our response was to withdraw and shield somewhat in order to protect our kids from that downward spiral. Now recall that we said one of the characteristics of a biblical man is protection. So this was a biblical response. At least that was the genuine intent. Now, 30 to 40 years later, we can look back on some of the results of how we applied that protection. Yeah, there are many good things that came out of that movement, but not all. What many well-intentioned older parents have experienced is a rejection of the values by their adult children, in some cases even the rejection of Christ. In our rightful desire to protect to one degree or another, we may have effectively insulated our kids from the world. So when out from underneath the protection of their parents, they become adults, they gravitate towards the world. So what does God's Word say about this? Well, when Jesus prayed to the Father for his disciples in John 17, he said this, Now, what does that passage have to do with the road to matrimony? Well, this is exactly the struggle that parents face with this issue. You know, some of us got the keeping them from the evil one right, but sending them into the world, not so much. I cannot pin down exactly what happened in any, any other families. Perhaps some were way too isolated, Perhaps the kids were involved in ministry through the church or other groups, but the parents were not actually living out ministry themselves, perhaps just too rigid, authoritarian, or legalistic, or a mix, or maybe all the above. The research tends to indicate which approach works best and which does not. Families that protected to the point of isolation had a much higher incidence of giving, of children rejecting the faith of their parents as teens and young adults. Those who had the best results were... Were children whose families were provided protection and boundaries, yet engaged the world as the Bible indicates that we should. These families teach God's Word, apply, and demonstrate the love of Christ, not just to other Christians, but to the lost. They invite unbelievers into their homes so their kids can see the gospel in action by their parents. All this to say that those of us who genuinely thought we were doing what we were commanded were so focused on protecting our kids, in some cases, we may have failed to live out in front of our kids the whole gospel of the Bible in a gospel-oriented life. Before his ascension, Jesus gave what we call the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. You know, it's hard to make disciples without being in the world. And at the same time, protect from the evil one of the world. But that's exactly what we are called to do. Of course, parents want to protect. The cost of failure of protection can be devastating, especially in boy-girl relationships. However, some of us erred on the side of protection, perhaps to the point of overprotection, to the point that our kids considered stifling. Reality is that we do want our kids to find a life partner, so there has to be some judgment calls along the way. You may make mistakes, I know I did, both in over and under protection, sometimes with the same child. But just as it is impossible to make disciples of all nations if you never leave the protection of the monastery or the convent, it is impossible for them to find God's one for life if you never take the on-ramp to the road of matrimony. And if you want to have a child who has a family, you must help them enter the road. It is inevitable. For young parents or parents-to-be, the lesson is simply to carry balanced buckets. You want to train and protect so that your kids avoid the pain of the traps we will, and, and we've already talked about, but also demonstrate the positive of the negative take by James that faith without works is dead. So allow me to suggest some options for parents as they decide when and how to start their young down this road. First, you know, there are activities in which boys and girls can meet one another. That's pretty obvious. Parents can delay this, especially if they've got a son who is extremely immature. However, eventually, this is part of growing up. It also gives the young opportunities to practice those manners that we talked about before and witness the examples of others who are a little further down the road in terms of maturity. So you can start by having young people come over to your home or through a well-led youth group. Uh, parents can organize group events with a mixed group of boys and girls with families uh, from families that you know and trust uh, without pairing off. Of course, understand that in, when you get them together, interests may develop, but at least you can be aware of what's going on. Uh, sometimes schools provide these events. I think this is the season for formals and proms and that sort of thing. Hopefully, uh, the school will be open to students uh, coming without being paired up as like groups of boys or groups of girls. Uh, if a boy, however, approaches a girl about attending such an event. If she sees her father as her protector, she is more likely to direct the boy to the father who can have a talk with him about his intentions and make the decision. This also allows a girl to nix the whole thing through dad if she does not want to even go down that path with this particular guy. If dad allows his daughter to be escorted, his conditions for her protection can be laid out for the young man. One of those conditions might be to attend with another suitable and trusted couple. Uh, now we had a joke uh, about the homeschool double date, and that was that consisted of uh, a, a son and a daughter of one family with a son and daughter of another family. That was a double date. We felt that somebody in the group would be accountable. Uh, now, let me, on that score here, um, young men, uh, a good way to develop trust and respect is by going to the young lady's father before even talking to her and asking if this outing is even a possibility. You will be respected for that. Okay, I know I'm talking about the ideal. Uh, just let me say, it is possible that the first girl a guy takes out will be his one and only forever. That's happened with with a a few of ours. However, this is not a common occurrence. It is not sin, nor will there necessarily be any lasting harm if that does not occur. Again, if God's word and his practices and his principles of purity, accountability, and always seeking his best are followed, you're going to be okay. Okay. Let's talk about some of the basics here that we need to have for serious relationships. First, maturity, okay? Serious relationships should be reserved for the age and maturity, readiness for marriage, at least getting close. There are just too many struggles for the emotionally and relationally immature. Now, determining when one is ready to consider marriage is easier said than done. Certainly, desire is essential, but not sufficient by itself. If the young person is not ready to consider marriage as a possibility in the near future, then he or she will be best protected with an attitude treating the other of the opposite sex with honor in Christ. Paul tells his spiritual son Timothy that he is to treat and encourage younger women as sisters in all purity. The more that a young man can adopt this attitude and see the girls around him along this road as sisters in Christ with purity, the fewer the problems. When maturity is obtained, this principle still applies, yet the process of finding God's one for that young man will naturally commence. Let me say that generally Christian parents see marriage as a good thing. Especially compared to the approach of the world. However, sometimes in their desire to see their young married, they can become less concerned about maturity and simply goose the process along to get them married off, perhaps to avoid the embarrassment to the family of their child shacking up. Now, there are exceptions, but quite generally, it is not a good idea, some would say, foolish to marry before he or she has reached adult maturity. Secondly, no surprise, genuine humility. As we started this series, we got to return to this quality of biblical manhood. Why? Because young people in general, and boys in particular, struggle with this one. I know I did. Give a microphone to a young male athlete, and eight or nine times out of ten, you will hear how much he thinks about himself he's simply mimicking the prose. True humility is a rare bird. Arrogancy can be overt, but it can also hide behind faux politeness. Some may remember Eddie Haskell was the character with that quality, and leave it to Beaver, a few of you. Several passages on humility are on your handout, but Philippians 2, I think, is significant. Paul exhorts us to follow the example of the Christ through God, who lowered himself to become man. Paul basically defines humility here. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. One type of boy to watch out for is the one who asks for a checklist of what he needs to do to date your daughter. Now, he may sound conscientious and responsible. However, there is this type who wants to check the boxes in order to be in control of the process. Now, parents should be specific in their requirements uh, for uh, teens. They should also look for an attitude of submission, deference, accountability, and of course, humility. Now dads are not always going to be able to see all the possible you know, situations and, and problems, so dad should make sure that the young man will always keep the overarching goal of honor and protection of his daughter while, he's, while she's in the boy's care. Again, If the young suitor can see this as a distinctively masculine responsibility, which we talked about before, and he's humble, he'll be much more likely to honor and protect that daughter, including by his own self-control. If a suitor or just a male friend is truly humble, he will be looking out for the interest of the daughter, not for himself. Young ladies, this is the kind to consider for the future if God opens that door. Finally, uh, preparation. Now, any time we face a new experience or adventure, we kind of think it's a good idea to prepare, okay? Whether for travel, uh, for, you know, You practice music, you know, you practice sports, you prepare for a particular profession, yet how much do the young prepare for marriage beyond the decision and the wedding? And parents play a significant role in this preparation for marriage starting early in their lives. Proverbs 24 says, prepare your work outside, get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. First. Prepare your work. Basic skills are important. Now, we weren't perfect at this, but we had more opportunities to train in basic skills through homeschooling. Uh, actually doing the things that give a working knowledge of various skills. And we, you can find various resources that give you a checklist of skills that boys and girls ought to know. Uh, For boys, skills like the safe use of tools, automotive care, yard work, money management, spiritual leadership, and other disciplines. The Jewish betrothal was a period when the young man would prepare his household for his bride, and no doubt he had great motivation to prepare in that culture because his marriage could not be consummated until he had a household to which to take his bride. The point is that preparation was then and is now important. In our non-agrarian society, that means not just a house, but a job as well as part of the preparation. This kind of became apparent to me when I graduated from the, from the University of Kansas with a degree in Special Humanities. You know, I can tell you're impressed. With, with that on my sheepskin and my resume in hand, I then found myself working for Christy's dad in a machinist shop as an unskilled laborer and gopher. We got married a few weeks later, and we had our wedding, and my plan was to go to law school in St. Louis. So Christy and I went down to look for a place to live, and suddenly it dawned on me, I had no way to provide for my wife and family. So I did the only logical thing. I signed up for the Marines and put off law school for a few years until I had at least some way to provide for my family. About four years later, we returned to Kansas with a two-and-a-half-year-old and a four-month-old to start law school and to help start Care well with other families. We didn't have much, but God always provided in those early years, despite my lack of preparation. In fact, I think he used my failure to prepare to take me on another course. The discipline, rigors, and real responsibility of military service was probably the difference between survival and failure in school, as our third son was born my second year of school. God saved me from my own failure to plan, not by an easier road, but by a hard but sustainable one. More importantly, if we had not made God a central part of our lives at that point in our, in our journey, and had friends like Steve and Sally and then Joe and Pam gotten into a Bible-teaching church and had people like you around us throughout that process, I don't know what it would have turned out, but it would have been a whole lot harder and quite different. To wrap up, parents of daughters should be ready to exercise what might be called judicious authority, or at least give good counsel. For the acceptance of that counsel to be possible requires trust, which requires relationship. Likewise, parents of sons need their attention through that same relationship to give give restraining advice from the Word to their sons, who are likely chomping at the bit to get down the road to to matrimony, At least we sure hope they do. Single parents should enlist help from trusted couples for appropriate advice and counsel, particularly from the perspective of the non-represented sex. Now, even more important than parent-child relationship that leads to the acceptance of instruction and counsel is the genuine relationship of sons and daughters with the good shepherd, who guides us all down the road of life. Humility and loving protection will help kids see Christ in us and make it easier to accept his gift of eternal life and submit to his will in this one. That starts with an understanding of the righteousness of God, our unworthiness as sinners, his mercy and grace to provide a lamb on the cross to pay for our sins. Which we'll remember shortly, and then in this next week, especially. Um, I got—I got to say, this is a vast topic. Okay, what is a man? Uh, and I feel—I feel so inadequate. So, please pray for me. In this series so far, we have covered a fair portion of what a young lady, pay attention, young ladies, what a young lady should be looking for in a biblical man. Next month, we hope to get into what qualities a young suitor should look for in a young lady and whom to avoid, and also some of the road bumps, potholes, and the off-ramps from the road to matrimony that the young face in our culture today. So if you would stand, and we'll put up a, a verse Say together as the worship team comes up. All right, together. Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people especially of those who believe command and teach these things let no one despise you for your youth but set the believers an example in speech in conduct in love